This morning we're in John chapter 6 once again. And as we looked at last week, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. The Bible just doesn't tell us how many people there were. And he did it with five loaves of bread and, and two small fish. How could he do this? Because Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is our provider. Jesus takes care of our needs. And remember Philip's response when Jesus said, how are we going to feed all these people? He says, there's not enough money. Even 200 penny worth of bread is not enough to feed this crowd. Andrew, on the other hand, he brought this little boy. He says, well, Lord, here's this boy and he has a lunch. It's not much, but here's something. But Jesus took that, he gave thanks, and he broke it and distributed it out. And the Bible says there was enough for everybody to eat as much as they wanted, plus 12 baskets full left over. Think of those 12 disciples gathering up their 12 baskets. They didn't have enough, but now they had more than enough. And God is our provider. And he can take little things and make them into big things. He can multiply something that's very small into something that is great. We shouldn't be concerned whether we're small or whether we don't have a lot or we don't have a lot of ability or anything else. We can trust in God and his ability to take us through and provide and do it because we're his children. We're, we're functioning on his plan. My kids don't have to come home at night and wonder if dad is going to take care of and mom is going to take care of their needs if they're going to have food and those things because we're their parents we want to provide for them and if you're a parent here this morning you know you will sacrifice your own good to take care of those that you have the responsibility for and jesus was willing to sacrifice on our behalf and give his own life so that we could have eternal life but the bible continues on here in john chapter 6 and we go now to verse number 16. And the Bible says, And when even was now come, so it's evening, it's getting dark, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the, boat, into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, this is one of the most incredible miracles, I think, in all of the New Testament. And this miracle is recorded for us in three different books in John, like we just read, but also in Matthew and in Mark. And one of the things we're going to see this morning, this isn't the main point of the message, but we're going to look at those other passages of Scripture. And one thing I want to remind you of, or if you don't know this, to teach you about that Scripture never contradicts itself. Scripture, God's Word, the Bible, instead complements itself. Scripture helps us to understand Scripture. One part of the Bible can help us understand another part of the Bible because it's all true. And so, as the different books were written, Matthew, Mark, and John, in this case, that each contain the story, 
they each have a slightly different perspective on the same story. And imagine it like a group of friends observe something happening, and you ask each of them what happened, and they might each have a little bit different perspective. The story's the same, but they point out different things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and those things can be instructive to us today. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, and as we look at this story this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time and look at those other passages too to help us get a fuller understanding of what Jesus was doing here when he walked on the water. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about your life, and then we'll talk about Jesus' life and what he did. But as we see in this passage of Scripture, as these disciples came down, they had just seen over 5,000 people get fed with just a few loaves and fish. Now they go down to the sea. It's getting dark. It's getting late. Who knows? Maybe they're even still carrying their 12 baskets with them. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But this is happening right after this. So they come down. This has to be on their minds, though, as they get on the ship to sail across. But Jesus is not with them. Now, I have a little picture here of the Sea of Galilee for you to see. And this is a very pretty, peaceful, beautiful picture. But hopefully you can tell by this picture, the Sea of Galilee is a large body of water. It's a number of miles of cross. And it, it, it's, depending on which direction you're going, it's, it's taller than it is wider or longer than it is wider. But it's six or seven miles across. It's 10 or 12 miles long. This is a large body of water. And the way the geography works around the Sea of Galilee, oftentimes the wind would come off the mountains. You can't really see them in this picture, but in some other pictures I was looking at, there's big mountains on the other side. The wind can come down across those mountains, a westerly wind, and really whip the sea into a torment. But these men, remember, these are not just uh, all carpenters or guys who had never been in a boat. Many of these men were fishermen, right? They were used to being in boats. They were used to fishing even here on the Sea of Galilee. And so these men get down in this boat. It's nighttime. They're rowing across. You probably noticed it as I read it. Jesus is not with them. Now, as we look at some of the other passages of Scripture, we'll see where Jesus was. But Jesus is not with them. And so, as we look at this passage together, we see them going through a storm, and then Jesus come and rescuing them out of the storm. Storms will come, won't they? Storms will come. How many of you are planners? Anybody a planner? You like to plan things out? You know sometimes why we like to plan? We like to plan so we can avoid storms, right? If I can plan things out, then, then I can avoid it, and I don't have to go through it. When a pilot is planning his route and he sees a storm coming on his airplane or even on a boat, he may try to avoid that storm. If he's in a plane, he might try to fly over it or fly around it. If you've ever been on a plane in a storm, you know how exciting that can be. But we try to plan things out and avoid storms. But there are some storms we cannot avoid. Storms come. Sometimes storms come in our lives because of bad decisions that we make, right? Because we do something wrong and we put ourselves in a bad place and we end up in that kind of storm. Sometimes storms come because Jesus 
allows us to go through them. We may be doing everything right. Did you know you can obey and life can still be hard? See, see, I think sometimes there's some misinformation about Christianity, about following Christ. People say, believe in Jesus, follow Christ, and your life will be great. But they don't finish, because what they should say is, your life will be great after you die. Right? Because that's when you are in heaven for eternity. Because we still live in this life, and there are still storms. And we need to be honest, right? About it. But there are storms that will come in your life. Some of your own doing, you put yourself in a bad place, you did wrong, you went where you weren't supposed to go, you were with people you shouldn't be with, and we get in those kinds of storms. Some come just purely through obedience. You're going exactly where God tells you to go, and you end up in a storm. Second thing, though, I think we can see about our life and about storms is that storms tend to blow us off course, don't they? We have a plan, we have a direction, we have a way that we want to go, but a storm can come in and disrupt everything. The disciples had a plan that night. They had actually set up with Jesus where they were supposed to meet on the other side. And they get down and it's nighttime and they begin to row and we can understand from the passages of Scripture about this story. The Bible says they had rowed pretty much all night long and they had only made it about halfway. This is not me trying to row. These are seasoned fishermen who did this all the time. And they couldn't make it across. Because storms can blow us off course. Have you ever found yourself in a place that you never expected to be in? You ever ended up somewhere where you didn't plan to go? Storms can do that, can't they? Number three, I think we can also see about our lives and about storms that some storms are beyond our ability to navigate, aren't they? There are some things we get ourselves into and we say, well, I know how to get through this. I've been here before and we go through it. But sometimes there are storms that we get into that we can't navigate. There will be things that will come in your life that will be bigger than what you can handle. That you don't know the way to the other side. These men had fished this lake I'm sure they had navigated other storms on this lake, but for whatever reason, this particular night, the storm was too big, and they couldn't navigate this storm. But here's another thing I think we can see from this story and about our own lives, too. These disciples, they were afraid, weren't they? The Bible says it very clearly here that they were afraid. Even when Jesus was the one coming to them, they were afraid. Here's the reality. Fear is what happens when you look to your circumstances. Right? When you look at the storm around you, it causes fear. And fear happens when we are out of control. Right? When we're in control, we feel good. And life is good and we know where we're going and we have our plan and we're accomplishing our plan. But when a storm comes that's beyond your control and you realize you are where you did not expect to end up, you end up in a place of fear if you are looking at your circumstances. When you look at the storm around you, when you look at the situation that you find yourself in, you can end up in fear. But faith is what happens when you look 
to the Lord over your circumstances, right? Those disciples, they're sitting there in the boat. They're surrounded by this storm. But when they took their eyes off of the storm and looked to their Savior, they now were walking by faith. They looked at Jesus over the circumstances. Faith is what looks to the Lord over our circumstances. Jesus said here, be not afraid. Did you know that this is the most common command in Scripture, in all of the Bible, is fear not? Why do you think God would say that over and over and over again? Perhaps it's because there are a lot of us, I would say all of us, that struggle with fear. What you may be afraid of may be different than what I'm afraid of. But we all struggle with fear. Some of us may put on a better front than others. But if we're honest, we all have fears. And I won't take time this morning, won't embarrass anybody and say, well, raise your hand, tell us what you're afraid of this morning. Because we're all afraid of something. And fear comes when we look at the circumstances around us. But it's interesting because Over and over and over and over again, the Bible says, fear not. But it's often included with another phrase, I am here. Jesus saying, it is I. I am here. And it's interesting, some of the commentators disagree on this, and there's a little bit of discussion, but the words he used when he says, it is I, in the Greek, is the same as when he said to Moses at the burning bush, I am. Do you know what I am means? When God says that, he's saying, I always have been, I am right now, and I always will be. I'm Jehovah God. And it's like Jesus is saying the same thing here. In the midst of your storm, when you're looking with fear at your circumstances, you can have faith, you can fear not, because I am. And folks, when we can learn to walk with the Lord in that kind of relationship, to know that He is, that He's everything that you need, that He can meet your deepest need, that He can fill that giant hole in your life, that he is. But see, it's hard to believe that sometimes because the waves look big and the wind is loud and everybody else may be around us giving up, right? But Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is I. See, it is not that God will take every storm away from you. But it is true that He will go into your storm with you, right? That's what Jesus did. He went into the storm with them. You don't need your storm to go away. That's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is to draw near to God. Because storms are going to come. We live in a sinful, broken world. And whether you put yourself in that storm or something else did, You may be in a storm right now. You may be just coming out of a storm. Or maybe you're looking ahead and you can kind of see the clouds on the horizon. You know one's coming. Right? That's the reality for all of us. Storms are going to come until someday, as a Christian, we're in glory and we're in heaven. So the biggest thing for us is not to be removed from the storm, but rather 
to draw near to our Savior. Some of you, your life is gripped by fear, right? You just, every little thing, you're afraid. And it holds you back. It keeps you from doing things. Why? Because you're trying to control outcomes, right? You, you want things to happen a certain way like you expect it to. That is a fearful way to live. Faith is trusting in Jesus to control the outcome. To say, what Jesus can do is greater than what I can do. What Jesus has the ability to do is greater than what I can do. Jesus can meet my need better than I can meet my own need. And when you make decisions from fear, folks, you make the wrong decisions. Every time. When you're walking by fear and not by faith, you end up in the wrong place. Because even if you say, well, I was afraid and I controlled it and I got here and this worked out, you're learning to trust in yourself. And you're teaching yourself bad habits that won't help you the next time you get in a problem. See, when you make decisions by fear, you always make the wrong decision. But when you walk by faith, you can make the right decisions. Because they're not yours, they're God's, right? It's His will. So some truth about Jesus in your storm. Notice, Jesus comes to them. You see, at the beginning part of the passage, the Bible says that Jesus was not with them when they set out across the sea. I think it's so encouraging to know that these men, they weren't coming to Jesus. Jesus was coming to them. Jesus saw them in their place of need, and he came to them across the sea. This world sins, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus came down to save this world that didn't even want a Savior. Because Jesus comes to you in your storm. Jesus came for these men to help them. Think about it. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is this friend that sticks closer than a brother. How many of you, you've had some friends, or at least they called themselves your friends, but when you went through a storm, they left. They're not there. Because they didn't want to go through your storm with you. But that's not Jesus. Jesus comes to you in your storm. He's the one who's always with you, even when everyone else forsakes you. He's the one that comes to you even when no one else will come. Jesus comes to them. Secondly, though, we can see about Jesus is that Jesus is bigger than the storm. Right? Jesus has so much more power than the storm. This storm was bigger than these men, so they were afraid. But my faith needs to be in the one that's bigger than the storm, right? Who has all power, who can say to the waves and to the wind, peace, yeah. be still. Wow. Peace. Many of you here this morning may not be at peace. Your heart's being twisted and turned every which way. Jesus is bigger than your storm. Some of you maybe haven't been through something big. Folks, when you do, Jesus is bigger than that. He's bigger than your storm. This supernatural power of Jesus is bigger than all the natural power that this earth can muster. The storm comes. These men are rowing as hard as they can, and they're losing. Maybe you felt like that. You're in the midst of some big struggle, and you're doing everything you possibly can, and you're still failing. Look to Jesus. 
When Jesus comes, the storm was calm. Jesus brought peace. This is not a guarantee that all of your problems are going to be wiped away if you walk with Jesus, but it's a demonstration of what Jesus can do. And if he hasn't taken your storm away, you can know that he's with you in your storm if you'll walk with him, if you'll trust in him. Fear ends up looking at the natural. Faith is what happens when we look to Christ, the supernatural. But the third thing we can see about Jesus, Jesus can deliver from danger. Jesus doesn't minimize this problem. Sometimes we miss seeing Christ because we get in a difficult time and then we get through it and we kind of act like, well, it was no big deal. It was a big deal to you at the time you were there. Jesus can deliver you from danger. He takes these men, he goes into their storm, he sees the wind, he sees the waves, and he calms it. He doesn't come in and say, oh, come on, guys, this isn't a big deal. No, he deals with the problem. Isn't that so discouraging, though, sometimes when you're going through a hard time and somebody else comes along and says, oh, come on, get over it, it's not that big of a deal. When you're the one going through a hard time, it is a big deal to you. And just telling you to get over it doesn't really help sometimes. Jesus doesn't come to his disciples and say, come on, guys, you're fishermen. You've done this before. You'll be fine. Just hang tight in the boat. No, these men are afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm here. See, Jesus is with you in your storm. He may take your storm away. He may ride it out with you. But he can deliver you from danger. See, as we look at this passage, we see some truth about our own lives and how we respond in storms. We see some truth about Jesus and what he does. John here in John chapter 6 is telling us the story of Jesus walking on the water. And you know, of the three different accounts of this story, John's is the shortest. It's as if he brought it together as briefly as possible just to tell what God had him to tell. But I want us to turn over to the book of Mark because Mark tells the story too. You have your Bible there, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And straightway, verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be, not, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. There's some very interesting things that Mark adds to the story that was happening in John. Did you catch some of those things? Let me, let me highlight some of them for you. 
First of all, notice who was the one that told them to get in the ship and sail to the other side? It was Jesus. But if Jesus is God and He knows everything, He knew they were going into a storm. Why did He send them in? See, Jesus may be the one sending you into your storm. See, you often think, well, I'm here because of all this bad stuff. Maybe you're there for some good things. And you were obedient, and you ended up in a bad place. This is one excuse people use all the time for not telling the truth. It's easier to tell a lie because if I tell the lie, then it won't hurt anybody, right? Or my life will be easier. We'll just kind of avoid the storm, right? But if I tell the truth, then I'm going to have to deal with the truth, and the truth hurts sometimes. God says, tell the truth, right? Always be truthful. Don't bear false witness, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments, number nine. But when I avoid telling the truth to try to avoid a storm, I'm trying to control things. I'm living by fear. When I live by faith, I tell the truth and let God take care of the consequences. And that may mean my obedience to God puts me right in the middle of a storm. Boy, if I tell the truth, those people are going to find out what I really think about them. It doesn't mean be rude. But they might find out that there's some things that I didn't want to tell them. I might have to own up to something that I've really done that I don't want anybody to know about. But see, sometimes the storm is there and we go through it even through obedience. Jesus put them in the storm. And then notice, though, also, I want you to notice what happened here. Jesus, the Bible says in verse 48, he saw them toiling and rowing. Jesus sees what you are enduring. You say, this is hard. I'm, I'm difficult. I'm struggling right now. It was hard to get out of bed this morning and come to church because of what I'm dealing with this morning. Jesus sees that. How could he see this? He's up on a mountain. They're several miles away. There's a storm going on, and it's dark. He's God. The Bible says in Psalm 139, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, the lowest places in the earth, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there, he says, he'll find us. And lead us. Jesus sees what you're enduring. He knows. He's a personal God. He cares about your personal needs. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows the struggle that's in your heart right now. You may look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's some big struggle going on. Jesus sees what you're enduring. I put these out of order. I'm sorry. Number two was sometimes Jesus sends you into a storm. I already said it, but it's going to come off of the slide now. But think about this. He doesn't send you into a storm to break you. He wants to build you up. Sometimes we have this attitude. God, I did everything that you wanted me to do, and look how it turned out as a mess. Is this what I get, Lord, for obeying you? You put me in this storm? Sometimes. Sometimes. Because his ways are not your ways. His ways are past finding out. 
His plan for your life is far bigger than any plan you could ever have for yours. Sometimes Jesus sends you into a storm. I want you to notice this next point. It may take just a moment to explain, but bear with me. Number three, do not be driven by need or opportunity, but by the will of God. Think about this. What's going on in this passage? Jesus has just fed 5,000. And if you read at the end of that passage, in the first part of John chapter 6, before we get into the story that we're in today, the Bible tells us that the people wanted to make him king. Jesus had an opportunity right here, didn't he? He had an opportunity to be made king. And you know what? There was a need for a good king, wasn't there? Children of Israel, they were oppressed at this point. They were under the Roman rule. But it's interesting, Jesus didn't just take an opportunity just because it was an opportunity. Jesus didn't do something just because there was a need for something to be done. Jesus instead always sought the will of his Father, and he did what the Father wanted him to do. Jesus has this opportunity. I mean, right now, the people are ready to follow him. He just fed over 5,000. You know, they're probably printing up the camel bumper stickers, right? Vote for Jesus, right? All this stuff. He's ready to set up his kingdom, right? Everybody's excited, but Jesus, no. He sends the disciples away. He puts them on a boat, and he goes up in a mountain to pray. See, Jesus was careful to always follow the will of God the Father. And in our lives, this is so important because, folks, there's all kinds of opportunities that come along. You look around this world, there's all kinds of needs. But just because there's a need, just because there's an opportunity, doesn't necessarily mean it's God's will. You say, well, how does he seek God's will? Well, he goes up into the mountain to pray. He doesn't look after what men would think. He wants to know what God thinks. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso trusteth in the Lord shall be safe. What does God want me to do? Jesus goes up into this mountain for an extended period of time in prayer. He gets alone and he's with God. He needs to get spiritually refreshed and encouraged and spend time with God, and he needs direction from God so that God can direct him of where he needs to go next and what he needs to go to do next. Folks, the reality is in our lives, so many times, we just live by in the moment, right? Amen. And we don't seek God's will. We just say, well, here's the next opportunity, or I'm going to go take this job, or I'm going to move here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend my time with this because we have an opportunity, there's a need over here, and we run around, and we're outside of God's will. Sometimes we need to just get alone and pray. Get alone with God. Amen. This was something I did before we moved here to start this church. As I felt God leading my heart to do that, giving me the desire to do it, I knew there was a need for it. I knew there was a potential opportunity to do it. There's lots of opportunities. If you're out pushing and working hard and doing your best, you're going to have opportunities. But how do you know what the right opportunity is? I know I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I need, I need some time. I need a day or two. Can I have some time? God's work on my heart. 
And I went and I drove out in the country, which was easy to do in Indiana. There's lots of country, lots of open space. And I found a little park by a stream and there was nobody there. And I sat there all day and I read my Bible and I prayed and I sang. Just me and God and the birds, you know, out there just had a little personal worship time with God and prayed and talked to God and walked around, asked God what I was supposed to do, asked God for direction, tried to remove all those distractions. I was out in the country, my cell phone didn't work out there. Just put it all away and asked God what he wanted. And God directed me to do this. And I'm so thankful that he did. But all of us need that kind of relationship with God. Where we just come away sometimes and say, God, what do you want me to do? And folks, I realize you can't always just take a day off in the middle of everything. But you can get up early in the morning and open the word. You can spend time in prayer. You can turn your phone off for a little bit. So you're not getting all the notifications and messages and all the things going on. And just walk with God Amen. and seek His will. Amen. See, why didn't Jesus go right then to become king? The people wanted it. The, the people needed it. He could have done it. He had the power to do it. But it's not what God wanted Him to do. God had a different plan for His life. And Jesus was always careful to follow the will of the Father. And I would encourage you in your life, because all of you are making decisions. I think this is appropriate, especially even on graduation Sunday, as we often think of graduates making decisions and taking those next steps in their life. But all of us have to do that. We need time with the Lord. Some of us need to just come away and have some personal one-on-one -on -one worship time with God and prayer and ask God what He wants us to do. Because He'll give you direction. And help you. This is what Jesus does. He's not driven by need or opportunity, but rather by the will of God. Something else we see from this passage, though, in Mark, is that sometimes God shows up in your life and you don't even recognize Him, right? This Jesus, the Bible says He's just walking on the water and it's like He would just walk by. Imagine it, right? These men have been out there. They're rowing all night long in this storm. They're not making any headway. They're working, working. All of a sudden, they look over, and there's Jesus. Hey, guys. You know, he's just, just walking on by. He, he has all power. He can do whatever. For him, the storm was nothing. And they look over, and they all see him, the Bible says, and they're all afraid. They think it's a ghost because it's not like just one of them saw it, like he's been looking at the waves too long. and he, They all see it at the same time. And Jesus is walking by. Isn't it interesting? How could they miss that this was Jesus? How could they be confused who it was? I think there's some very instructive verses for us at the very end where it says their heart was hardened. Why was their heart hard? They knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus could do. But their eyes were not on the Lord. Their eyes were on their circumstances and they were full of fear. Because folks, when your heart is full of fear, there's no room for faith to trust in God. And these men... They, they had just seen what Jesus had done with the loaves. 
That's what it says in verse 52. They considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Folks, you may know the truth this morning. You may be able to quote all the Bible verses, right? You may have it all together from an outside, but you may be missing Jesus' direction and Jesus' help and Jesus' encouragement in your life because you've hardened your heart. You've taken your eyes off of the Lord. You've forgotten what He can do, that He has all power, that He is, I am. And He says, be not afraid, be of good cheer. And you've forgotten about it because you say, yeah, but these circumstances are bad. You just don't understand. How sad. How sad that these disciples who had just participated in this great miracle of all these people being fed, and perhaps, right, the 12 baskets of bread and fish are still sitting there in the boat. We don't know. But they had just gathered up these 12 baskets full, left over. Jesus provides over enough. Now they get in a storm, and they, can't, they don't trust him to protect them in the storm. Sometimes God can show up in our life, and we don't even recognize him. Folks, when you are struggling with something, you're sick and you pray and you ask God to give you strength and heal you and he does, give thanks to him. When you have a need, maybe you've been needing a job or needing some help or needing some encouragement and you don't know where to turn, you've been looking for somebody just to meet a little need and somehow that need gets met, but maybe not exactly in the way you expected. Thank God. Remember what God has done in your heart. It's important to rehearse the blessings of God in our lives. This is why as Christians, sometimes we have what we call testimony time. This is where we just give a testimony. This could be one-on-one, -on -one, one person to another. This could be one person to the whole church saying, this is what God has done for me. Why? Because we want to learn to recognize the work of God in our lives. And we want to be able to rejoice as God is working in the lives of others. But when we get so busy and we're focused on our problems, circumstances, struggle, pain, suffering, whatever it is, our heart can be just like these disciples and get hardened and miss out on God's working in our situation. How odd, right, that Jesus showed up and they were afraid of Jesus. Jesus may be, trying, may be doing some work in your life and in your heart. And you say, I don't, I don't like that because it's not what I expect. Right? The disciples expected perhaps to do it in their own strength. Right? God, give us strength. Help the boat not to capsize. Help us to get across. And that's not what God had planned to give them strength in their arms. He planned to send Jesus to come just take the storm away. Sometimes God shows up in our lives and we don't even recognize him we often see with our eyes instead of with our heart their heart was hardened the heart is is our real you right that's 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 where your emotions and struggle resides jesus comes to him but they don't recognize him they had fear Instead of faith, it wasn't a problem with their eyes. They could see him. It was a problem with their heart. Their heart was focused on other things. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to believe the truth of God's word. 
it's not a problem with the Word of God. It's maybe not a problem with your mental capacity. The problem is in your heart and your unwillingness to trust God. We don't know what was going on in these disciples' heart exactly. The Bible just says their heart was hardened. If you're struggling to believe, look at what Jesus has done. This is why we have the Word of God for us. This is why the book of John was written, so that we might believe. And we can trust in Him. Almost done this morning, but I want to finish by turning over to the book of Matthew and looking at just a few more details from this miracle. Matthew chapter 14. You're going to notice a lot of similarities with what we just read in Mark. But there's one big detail that Mark and John don't include. And this may be what you're thinking about. Mark, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples, get into ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Okay, everything pretty much the same as Mark and what we already saw in John. It's all the same till verse 28. There's a wonderful detail here. Verse 28, And Peter answered him, and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, this is Jesus, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, If it's really you, ask me to come. And Jesus says, Come. Folks, it doesn't matter what your storm is this morning, right? Storm is, a, is our generic word this morning. You fill in the blank of what your storm is. And you're in the midst and you're struggling. You're not sure where to turn. Jesus is there. And he says, come. He's inviting you. Come. Come. Take your eyes off of your circumstances, off of your struggle, off of your pain, and put them on me. Come. Jesus is inviting them to come, him to come. And then Peter gets out of the boat, the Bible says, to go to Jesus. He had the purpose to go to Jesus. But then it says, then he began to look at the wind and the waves. Took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to look at all the problems. And he began to sink. But isn't it encouraging, instead of standing there and lecturing him as he sunk into the water, right? The Bible says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Right away, immediately, 
See, if you come to the Lord this morning asking for help, He will immediately help you. And His help doesn't always look like you expect it to look, but it's immediate. He gives grace. He gives comfort. He gives strength. He gives help. He gives provision. He gives hope. He gives mercy. He gives love. And it's immediate. When you come to Him and say, Lord, help me, save me, He immediately will save you. Some of you this morning are lost in your sin. You've been living your own life, your own way, and it's not working very well. And you're sinking in your storm. And if you will look to Jesus this morning and say, Lord, save me, He will do it immediately. And He will save you from your sin and your struggle. This is what He did for Jesus. This is what Jesus did for Peter. He saved him immediately. And then notice what happens next. He speaks to him and he tells him that you have little faith. Now let me just give you a few more points here before we're done. Here's some good reminders. Number one, when the storm comes in your life, look to Jesus and then keep looking to Jesus, right? Don't stop. Peter looked at him enough to get out of the boat and then as soon as he got out of the boat, whoa, His eyes got on the wind and the waves and he looked away. And that's when he began to sink. If you're trusting in Jesus, continue to trust in Jesus. Say, yeah, but you don't understand. I got out of the boat trusting him and now the storm has just gotten bigger. Keep looking to Jesus. Don't stop. Because his ways are perfect. And he's working together all things together for your good and for his glory. Keep looking to Jesus. Number two, when Jesus tells you to do something, you need to do it. You need to do it. I've heard people say, well, what do you mean when God tells you to do something? God never speaks to me. Well, maybe it's because you're not obeying what he's already told you to do. Right? Get back to what he's told you to do. You say, what has he told me to do? The Bible is full of God's instructions. Get in the Word of God and find out what He says. He speaks very clearly through His Word. And God will tell you what to do. Sometimes we don't feel God's presence and encouragement and help and strength in our life because we're not living in obedience. Our eyes are not on Him. They're on ourselves. They're on our circumstances. Keep looking to Jesus. Don't stop looking. And when Jesus tells you to do something... Do it. I don't know if it all works this way anymore, but I know for a time with the GPS systems that you would put in your car, you would plug in an address, right? And it would give you directions to that address. But if you decided, well, first I'm going to go over here and then over here, and you went off the path, it, it would recalculate and recalculate and recalculate. But I've read about some systems that after a period of recalculating, they finally would just kind of give up and say, get back to the previous route, and then instruction will proceed, right? God's already given you direction. We need to obey it. And then I think we can see from this passage in Matthew about Peter walking on the water to Jesus that faith is simply taking the next step. See, a lot of us, our faith is, 
Okay, God, when you figure everything out and show it all to me, and I can see my way to get from here to way down there, then I'll trust you by faith. Faith is just one step at a time. One step at a time. Peter had to have faith to get out of the boat, and then he had to have faith to take the next step and the next step to go to Jesus. I said this last week, but it's still true this week. Your faith for yesterday is not going to be good enough for your faith today. You need faith every single day to walk with God. It's a step-by-step process. If you walked by faith until you were uh, graduated from high school and God was working in your life, that'd be a blessing. But you need to walk by faith to stay faithful to Him in college or stay faithful to Him as you get a job. You've walked by faith as a young person perhaps and now you're ready to get married. You better continue to walk by faith and obedience. There's going to just continue to be more and more and more life. I remember as a child thinking, I can't wait to be grown up because then my life's going to be easy. I can stay up late and I can go through the drive-thru all by myself, you know. (laughs) It's going to be great. And adults, now you just want to go to bed earlier. (laughs) And every time you go through the drive-thru, you feel sick, right? (laughs) And you need something different. Life is always changing. And we need new faith for every single day. There's always new challenges, new struggles, new pain. And our life, we feel like, well, if I can just get through this, then I'll be okay. Then, and then we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at our own circumstances and we start to sink. Lord, save me. Faith is simply taking the next step. I don't know what the next step is for each one of you. For somebody here, the next step is trusting in Jesus to save them from their sins. For somebody here this morning, your next step of faith, maybe you say, I need to really commit in my relationship with God. I know that he's forgiven me of my sins. I know I'm saved, but I'm still kind of busy doing a lot of other stuff. God really isn't central in my life. For some of you, the next step is saying, I get really comfortable and I have a close personal relationship with God, but I'm not sure I can share that with anybody else. I'm afraid to do that. I want to control how people think of me. And if I tell people about Jesus, I'm not sure what they're going to think. Maybe that's your next step of faith. Whatever it is, walk by faith. Faith is simply taking the next step. The fourth thing I think we can see here in Matthew is that faith unleashes the supernatural. I'm not trying to be spooky here, right? But until Peter had faith, he, didn't get it. he wasn't able to get out of the boat. Jesus had the power to give him enough power to walk on the water, didn't he? Jesus has the power to do whatever. But Peter's faith in God is when what was possible actually became reality. Because he took that step of faith. And he got out of the boat. Faith unleashes the supernatural But here's another thing we can see from Peter, right? Fear will sink you every time. Fear will sink you. When he's living by faith, right? Peter is walking over his circumstances, isn't he? Because he's walking to Jesus. But when he fears, 
he sinks into his circumstances. The circumstances overwhelm him. But when he's walking by faith, he's he's over the top of them. Yes, they're still there, right? The storm was still there when Peter's walking on the water, but it didn't have the same effect on him because he's walking by faith. But when he began to fear and look at the storm around him, he sunk right in and it overcame him. Fear will sink you every time. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casteth out fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if your life is caught up and full of fear and struggle this morning, because you're not walking by faith and you're sinking into your circumstances. Everything is grabbing at you and pulling you back and pulling you down and making you struggle. Fear will sink you every time. But let me just give my little two cents on Peter here. When Jesus says to him, oh, you have little faith, right? A little faith is better than no faith. Right? I mean, imagine the conversation later when they get to the other side and the disciples are cleaning up and beaching the boat and doing whatever they're doing. And all of those disciples looked at him and they said, Peter, Jesus just said you don't have very much faith. Yes, Peter might say, but I'm the one that got out of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> right? He at least got to experience a step or maybe two. We don't know how many steps he took on the water. The Bible doesn't say but he got to experience that. A little faith is better than no faith. And God can take a little faith and do great things because the reality is, folks, the size of your faith is not so much the issue. It's the object of your faith because if you'll put your faith in God, God will strengthen your faith. He'll grow your faith. Faith is kind of like a muscle. It grows when you work it out. If you're not walking by faith and working in your faith, your faith's going to stay really small. So let's not be down on Peter because Jesus said, oh, ye little faith, he at least took that first step. If you this morning, you say, I don't have enough faith to trust God for all this big stuff that I'm facing. Trust him one step at a time, little by little. Faith is taking the next step. A little faith is better than no faith. And then finally this morning, I want us to notice this. When the storm comes, you have two options, right? You can worry or you can worship. And that's what the disciples did. It says in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 14, Then when they that were in the ship came... And worshipped him and said, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Two options in your storm today. You can worry. You can fret. You can be afraid. You can struggle. Or you can worship the Lord. See, there's something wonderful about coming to church together this morning. We came from different places, different backgrounds, different struggles a little bit different parts of town, perhaps. Some of you brought some big burdens with you this morning. Some of you brought some struggles, some care, some pain. But isn't it wonderful that if we'll focus on the Lord, we can put aside some of those struggles for a time and just worship the Lord together. 
and remember what he's done for us and be encouraged. The reality is, though, when we are struggling, a lot of times we like to run and hide and just worry and fret and try to figure it out. God wants us to worship him. When you can't see the end and you don't know which way to go, worship the Lord. When life is good and everything's working out and you're excited, worship the Lord because it's all from him. And if he has you in the storm, he may be the one that sent you into it. And if he did, you can trust him. He's the master of the storm. But we must walk by faith, trusting in him. What are you going to do this morning? You've brought care and struggle and worry and pain in this morning. Are you going to choose to give it to the Lord and worship him? Say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll obey it. Lord, help me to walk by faith and keep my eyes on you. Even though I can't see how it's all going to work out and the circumstances are really bad. Help me to keep my eyes off my circumstances is on you. Or in just a few minutes when the service is over, you're going to pick up your heavy load and you're going to trudge back on out into this good old, nice, hot, humid summer day and sweat all the way home. Are you going to give it to the Lord? Yes, as you go from this place and as you see things, maybe when you drive into your place where you're staying, into your house, and you walk in the door and you see all that stuff laying around and it reminds you of things and your mind's going to be brought back to your circumstances. Maybe you're going to leave here today and you're going to see somebody who's treated you wrong or is out to get you and it's going to remind you of those bad things. Maybe you're going to go out to your car and you're going to turn it on you're going to see that the gas gauge barely goes up and you're going to be reminded, oh, I've got to find some more money to fill this gas tank up again so I can keep the AC running in my car. Maybe your AC doesn't even work in your car this morning. And you're going to be reminded of the circumstances. And you can choose then to pick all that stuff back up and worry, worry, worry all week long and struggle along. Or you can say, God, I'm going to worship you in the middle of this storm and just trust you and obey you and walk with you and let you take me wherever you want to take me. God, I'm giving up control and I'm letting you have control. God, I'm giving up my way and I'm trusting in your way. Folks, if we would learn to live that way, imagine how wonderful it could be. I really don't think we could because honestly, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to walk on the water. But Peter got to experience that. And imagine what God could do in your life if you'd walk by faith. He might just take you right out of your storm. I mean, there's this last little miracle here that's almost, often skipped over, but the Bible says Jesus got in the boat and they were immediately at the shore at the place where they were trying to go. Wait a minute, how'd they get from the middle of the lake in a storm to the ready to tie up to the dock, right where they were supposed to be? Because Jesus was in the boat. You say, you mean if I trust in Jesus, all my problems are going to go away and be right there? Not necessarily. Because that's not how he always works. But he can do that if that's what is necessary. But if he hasn't done it, he may have something else that's even better. He's with you in your storm. So thankful for these two miracles in John chapter 6. Jesus feeding 5,000. He's the great provider. And he always gives more than enough. And Jesus walking on the water. He's the great protector. He's with you in your storm. 